Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. ESG has become established as a key business theme as companies and investors seek to navigate the climate crisis, energy transition, social megatrends, mounting regulatory tension, and pressure from other stakeholders. The rapidly evolving landscape has become inundated with acronyms, buzzwords, and lingo, and we aim to break these down with industry experts. Welcome to ESG Currents, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, your guide to navigating the evolving ESG space one topic at a time. I'm Rob Duboff, Senior ESG Analyst, your host for today's episode. So perhaps there's no better example of the recent resurgence of organized labor in the U.S. than Starbucks. The movement to unionize at Starbucks locations only began in 2021, but today represents over 9,500 workers at 386 locations. However, the company has been pushing back on these efforts. To ensure the unions get a seat at the bargaining table, they are now seeking three seats in the boardroom. Last November, the Strategic Organizing Center nominated three director candidates to the board to be voted on at the annual meeting this spring. The SOC is a coalition of labor unions representing more than 2.3 million members, including the Service Employees International Union. Joining us today to discuss is Tejal Patel, Corporate Governance Director at SOC Investment Group. In her current role, she works with investor coalitions to develop strategies for issuer engagement, shareholder proposals, director accountability, and asset manager outreach. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Nice to be here. So first, can you tell us what is the Strategic Organizing Center? And more specifically, what does it have to do with Starbucks? Yeah, so I think, you know, you gave a little bit of an introduction. We, we are a coalition of labor unions. Um, it does include the Service Employees International Union. Uh, we work on transformational campaigns to advance the interests of workers, consumers, and shareholders. Um, and the SOC's shareholder advocacy arm is the SOC Investment Group. Um, we specialize in identifying companies like Starbucks that have exhibited irresponsible corporate behavior uh, that, in our view, has impacted shareholders' long-term investments. Um, as an investor and also as an ally to Starbucks employees, many of whom are also shareholders through the company's share ownership program, uh, we believe that Starbucks board has effectively failed to uh, oversee the company's response to employee unionization efforts and its approach to human capital management. Uh, and that's exposed the business to reputational and potential financial damage over the long term. Great. So before we get into the specifics of the campaign, I, I just want to understand why we've seen this surge in unionization at Starbucks. I mean, I, I was under the impression the company has relatively employee-friendly reputation versus maybe some of the others in the restaurant industry. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think for um, you know quite some time, the company had what was viewed as sort of an enlightened approach to its employees. Um, the issue is, though, and, and Starbucks would have you think otherwise, I think, 
the way that the company has addressed the concerns that have been raised by its employees uh, has been just an extremely slow process. Um, some of these concerns started as a result of the pandemic. Obviously, there were health and safety issues there. Some of it is wages. We've been dealing with record inflation, um, benefits, staffing at stores. Um, it's a confluence of factors, but the efforts to unionize really began in late 2021, and we're in 2024 now, and nothing has really changed. Instead, uh, what we've seen really is Starbucks is facing more than 130 complaints from the National Labor Relations Board. It's got more than 1,100 allegations asserting that the company has illegally repressed employees' rights. Um, in many cases, Starbucks has taken anti-union actions, including terminating union organizers, uh, refusing to bargain in good faith, and retaliatory store closures. And in March of 2023, um, a labor judge actually concluded that Starbucks had violated labor laws hundreds of times. Um, they found that the company had threatened its employees, that it had uh, surveyed them, that it had more strictly enforced certain policies in order to justify terminations. Um, so if Starbucks is really interested in preserving their goodwill and brand that you, you mentioned, um, they really need to have better oversight of these issues, and that falls on the company's board. So that takes us right to the campaign. The SOC has been fairly active in submitting shareholder proposals. Uh, as an example, you know, I've, we've looked at in the past the campaigns asking companies to conduct uh, racial equity audits, and that was pretty successful. Uh, but this is your first real proxy fight. Why did you decide to get more active here? Yeah, so, you know, as you said, uh, we, we have previously engaged with um, submitted proposals, run withhold or vote no campaigns uh, at over 100 kind of big name companies, I would say, like Bank of America, Uber, General Electric, Apple. This is the first time that we've taken the step of publicly nominating director candidates. And we're doing that because we believe that Starbucks's board's current approach to unionization efforts of its store employees likely jeopardizes its ability to fulfill its fiduciary duties to investors um, and has resulted arguably in one of the most glaring and destructive examples of human capital mismanagement that corporate America has ever seen. Um, and the, the current board has proved to be largely inflexible. Um, it's been fairly reactive, I would say, rather than proactive um, and hasn't provided the oversight that's needed on the company's labor issues. And that's why we believe that change is needed at the board level. So when you're making this case as a Starbucks shareholder, why, why should I vote in favor of these, these director nominees? Yeah, um, you know, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I think that you, you have to look at, at, you know, the amount of time that's passed. So for three years, um, the company's gone to historic lengths uh, to counter its employees' attempts to have their voices be heard. Um, this has not only cost untold millions in legal fees and other expenditures, but the constant media, policymaker, and regulatory scrutiny have caused potentially irreversible damage to the value of the company's previously enviable brand. And I think you really need to look at um, the company's handling of its labor issues in totality, right? So again, we have uh, these NLRB uh, complaints. There's about 130 of them. There's over a thousand allegations of illegal activity. We have a shareholder derivative suit that was filed last summer. Um, again, several members of the current board alleging that the directors breached their fiduciary duty of loyalty uh, to Starbucks and its stockholders by utterly failing 
uh, to implement any oversight and reporting system concerning the company's labor management. Um, there's 30 or so adverse ALJ decisions that the company is appealing. Um, there's even a Supreme Court decision that they, they have appealed now to the wow. Supreme Court, an NLRB decision um, that required Starbucks to rehire seven pro-union Tennessee baristas that were terminated by the company. Um, and all of this has exposed the company to legal and reputational risks, and those are risks that the company's board is supposed to be mitigating. Um, the board's current approach to these labor issues likely jeopardizes its ability to fulfill its fiduciary duties mm -hmm. to investors uh, to oversee these issues. Um, and that's why we think that the change is needed, right? Um, our nominees are going to be able to bring a fresh perspective and the right expertise to help uh, improve oversight and safeguard the best interests of Starbucks shareholders, customers, and employees. Um, and if you or any other investor in Starbucks has other questions, um, I would encourage you to, to take a look at the contest website. It's uh, brewabetterstarbucks.com. Got it. I, you know, I, I think back to the proxy fight at Exxon a few years ago, and um, you know, from my mm -hmm. deep dark past, I used to be an oil analyst. So I know the company quite well. Um, you know, it was a great story, mm -hmm. big ESG component to it, and I think a lot was made at the time that you know, hey, um, you know, oil's days are numbered. But I, I would argue that it was, it was ultimately Exxon's lagging relative performance that did it in um, you know, capital allocation, not just low carbon solutions, but across the company more broadly, right. that's really the through line. So I think similarly, you've seen Starbucks lag peers for a while. So you know, I, I would think that part of what you need to do would be to connect that to human capital issues. Is that something you guys are, are comfortable doing? Yeah, no. And I think that there's certainly evidence of that when, since the body of work of like human capital management has de been developed, the argument has always been the business right. case, right, for it. So it's about um, being able to attract and retain the best possible employees, right, in order for the company mm -hmm. to stay competitive. Um, the other thing is that I think it's important is Starbucks isn't a service industry, right? And so their performance is only going to be as good as the people that they're able to hire. Um, and so we'd argue that the board's mismanagement of the labor issues really jeopardizes um, the company's overall value and ability to stay competitive. Um, in the long term. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, you think their value proposition versus maybe some others, it's it's really kind of a welcoming environment. And um, what do they call it? The third place. And, and you know. I, yeah, that's what the, the motto was, I think. Um, I'm not sure if they're still applying that anymore. Yeah, but. so I think definitely, I think you make a great point that service is, is definitely a key component of that. And obviously, um, you know, labor is a, is a key component of that. Um, now, it, this also didn't just come out of the blue this in November, I, there's some mandate from Starbucks shareholders, uh, narrow majority approved a proposal regarding an assessment of workers' rights commitments at last year's annual meeting. Uh, but I have to ask, is, is mm -hmm. this campaign too soon on the heels of that? You know, I think back to the proxy fight at Exxon, um, that was a culmination of years of engagement with the company. And in this case, it's been less than a year since that proposal passed. Is, is there risk that maybe the company um, you know, just needs a bit more time or some shareholders are willing to give the company a bit more time before going this active? Yeah, I think the thing to remember, Rob, about this is just because the report was just issued in December doesn't mean that the lack of oversight by the board hasn't been happening over the course of a few years, right? Um, in fact, it's, it's that lack of oversight that probably 
resulted in the report's right. findings. Um, so, so we really feel as though the board and, and management have been dragging their feet to address the human capital management issues to kind of maintain the status quo. Um, they've been on notice for quite some time, right? Um, and during that time, it's just been like headline after headline of Starbucks in the news for its labor issues. Um, and I think that employees and stakeholders have had enough and shareholders are clearly becoming more concerned um, because the board's failure to oversee human capital management is going to make it really challenging, you know, as we were just talking about, for Starbucks to continue to retain and attract talent and stay competitive, which is something that they, they really need to do. Uh, in terms of kind of the report, what's interesting about it is that I think that the report actually proves that Starbucks has a long way to go to shift policy um, and to deconstruct kind of this massive anti-union apparatus that remains in place and is very active today. Um, in fact, the company's own report, right, mentions the company's weak governance when it came to uh, responding to organizing efforts. And even more importantly, their, you know, assessor actually found that the company didn't understand uh, or give consideration to its labor rights commitments in the context of recent organizing. Um, you know, the report says that the company is supposed to take certain steps to address its commitments to labor rights. And we hope that the board is sincere um, about wanting to strengthen Starbucks's governance framework and reset its relationships uh, with its employees. And if they are, they need to have the right directors on the board to execute that change. And the incumbent board hasn't really demonstrated that they're able to do that. Um, I think that the, the company's own actions are really making clear that like the status quo is just not working. Yeah, and you talk about the company's own response, and, and interesting that you know even just a few days ago they 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 uh, actually added or nominated um, some new directors of their own. Uh, you know, how what do you think overall of the company's response? Um, you know, have they been engaging with you? Is there a chance this thing gets settled before the annual meeting? Yeah, so um, you know they've they've had a series of kind of labor related announcements. Um, they that's included the formation of a new board committee, the um, Environmental Partner and Community Impact Committee. Um, there was the public letter to Workers United um, asking to reengage on negotiations, and then obviously that that labor rights assessment we talked about, and there was also a shareholder letter that uh, accompanied that report. Um, you know, I think the optimistic view would be to see some of these steps as encouraging, but the reality is that we can only judge their significance based on what the current board does and not what it says. Um, I will say that the timing of this kind of flurry of activity is not a coincidence, I don't think. Um, you know, while we recognize that some of these announcements kind of may have been in the works prior to the company uh, becoming aware of the SOC's decision to put forward directors, um, we believe that this level of response in aggregate represents a clear acknowledgement that the board's oversight of its human capital management strategy um, has been severely misguided and that even Starbucks is recognizing that change is needed. Um, with regards to the possibility of a settlement, um, you know, we can't comment on any discussions or interactions we've had in the um, with the company, excuse me. Um, but our, our preference would be to, to reach a constructive solution. Um, if that's not possible, obviously the next step is is taking the vote to shareholders to uh, elect our nominees to the board. How do you go about building support for this? Looking at uh, shameless plug here, the HDS function on my Bloomberg terminal, you have a quarter of the voting concentrated <laughs> among just five shareholders. Do you need their support, or can you win this behind a bunch of smaller shareholders? 
Yeah, so I, I can't necessarily comment on like discussions that we've had, but um, you know, we're we're confident that uh, other shareholders share a lot of our concerns, and and vote concentration is obviously something that has to be dealt with uh, in any type of shareholder work. So there will be communications, you know, to these larger investors as well as to the smaller ones um, to explain our concerns and demonstrate that. Look, to the extent that a fund or a proxy voter is concerned about human capital management or labor rights, this is the company that you should really be scrutinizing carefully. Um, we hope that our views on this issue are going to resonate across institutional and retail investors, um, as this is a core component of the company's strategy and, and a key factor right, to, to shareholder value creation. And while we can't predict the vote outcome, um, we plan to continue communicating our perspectives with other investors so that they can make an informed decision ahead of the meeting. And I'm, I'm always curious, how do you select your board nominees? Obviously, you want directors that will push the company in a more labor-friendly direction, but but they need to be qualified to address some of the other strategic challenges facing the company, you know, supply chain, um, some of the other kind of geopolitical risks out there. Um, so how do you... How do you go about finding directors and, and why do you think the ones you found are, are, are the most qualified? Yeah, so um, our three-member slate was assembled after comprehensive due diligence that involved analyzing the board's deficiencies and identifying the company's kind of go-forward needs, if you will. Um, our slate of uh, directors, they're, they're highly qualified, they're independent um, candidates that possess the needed business acumen human capital management experience, labor rights experience, um, policy experience, as well as uh, legal background that the board has lacked. Um, and we think that they can bring a fresh perspective, really, to help uh, improve oversight and safeguard the best interests of Starbucks shareholders and their the customers and employees. And and just playing devil's advocate here, but is there a risk that, that your board members won't fairly balance the needs of other star Starbucks shareholders uh, relative to its employees. I mean, it's easy to say there's benefits to, to better worker treatment, but how's that balanced against the needs of investors, which you know, I should add, and as you mentioned, includes pension plans and uh, some of your other union members. Yeah, you know, to your to your point about concerns, maybe that a, a director wouldn't fairly balance the needs of other Starbucks uh, stakeholders. That's that's just not the case. Um, you know, our independent director candidates will improve oversight and safeguard the best interests of all Starbucks stakeholders. That includes shareholders, it includes customers and their employees, uh, and any board member that's elected to Starbucks's board whether it's management's or ours, um, has a fiduciary obligation to act in the best interest of all of Starbucks's stockholders. Um, if our nominees are appointed, you know, they would work constructively and effectively to help recalibrate the company's approach to labor, um, but also to rehabilitate its reputation and maximize uh, shareholder value. And we really do believe that you know, once the company is able to, to resolve and address these labor issues, they'll be better focused um, on enhancing shareholder value. I don't want to get too wonky on this podcast, but can we talk briefly about the universal proxy? Now, for our listeners, activism historically has involved soliciting competing proxies. Shareholders really couldn't mix and match director votes. Different colors of paper were involved. The whole process was just not efficient. But since late 2022 in the U.S., Shareholders vote just one proxy with all nominees, both management and dissident. Does this change the dynamics at all in your view? 
Um, yeah, well, it's fair to not want to get too wonky about the UPC, I think. Um, you know, I think what, what the universal proxy card does is it allows for choice. And I, I think it's going to help our campaign because investors can evaluate our nominees and Starbucks's nominees equally and determine the best people to be in the boardroom. Um, and again, you know, we believe our nominees bring much needed human capital management, labor relations and public policy experience to the board. In addition to, you know, helping to potentially enhance conversations related to long-term strategy of the company as the company considers their employees as key stakeholders, right, in the company's success. Um, so the, the UPC, the Universal Proxy Card, really allows investors um, to select the best candidates for the boardroom without being limited to choosing, you know, the director candidates on only one card or the other. It's that mix and match system that you talked about. And, um, you know, we hope that this will further enable the best candidate to prevail. Great. And speaking of, of the rest of, of proxy season, I mean, obviously, um, this is a big campaign, but are there, are there some um, some other trends that you expect to see in this current proxy season? Is, is SOC involved in other uh, campaigns out there? Yeah, we are. Um, we've got, you know, in addition to us, uh, several other investors have continued to file these um, uh, labor rights assessment style proposals at other companies. Um you know, there's also workplace health and safety, I think, uh, following the heels of the Donald, Dollar General vote um, that took place last spring. Um, and so that's that's going to continue to be a concern at, uh, at a few companies. Um, you know, other than that, there's always uh, board accountability measures. So the more traditional kind of ones that are known as vote no's. Um, we're probably going to be seeing a, a few of those. Um, I can't, unfortunately, talk to you about which companies quite yet. It's a little early, <laughs> Rob, but, um, you know, happy to keep in Absolutely. touch on it. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, you know, I think one other thing, um, you know, I, I talked to some of your colleagues a few years ago on, on the racial equity audits, which, you know, was a really interesting mm -hmm. trend at the time. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, funny or sad is the right term, but, you know, you've seen these kind of be yeah. turned into very similarly worded, but anti-ESG uh, proposals that, that maybe use the language right. of diversity and inclusion, but uh, maybe talk about underrepresentation of white males in the workforce or, um, you know, diversity of thoughts. So just curious kind of what your thought is on, um, you know, basically, um, you know, seeing uh, maybe call it the other side using some of the similar strategies you guys have employed to uh, some success. Yeah, you, you can call it weaponizing <laughs> a, share, a shareholder proposal um, if you'd like. Um, you know, we've, we've seen um, those types of organizations do that kind of previously. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, you know, uh, in the past, uh, one of those organizations would file like independent chair mm -hmm. proposals. Um, but then when you actually read the proposal, it had nothing to do with an independent chair, basically. Um, so so we, are, we are used to them doing that. I think that in a lot of ways, when they do something like that to the proposal, it's a hallmark of just how much the proposal is resonating with people um, and, and their attempts to kind of undermine that, I guess. Um, I will say that, you know, it, we've seen those proposals get filed and... Um, shareholders, uh, and I'm very grateful to this, have been able to uh, recognize the difference between those proposals and the ones that folks like us file, um, because they're really 
those vote results are getting like on average, I think two or 3% um, as opposed to the regular and kind of normal <laughs> civil rights or racial equity audits, which I think were in like the twenties or so last year. Right. So. And, uh, but I do think, you know, one of the flip sides of that is that when you see some of these kind of headline numbers, you know, seeing a rise in those proposals that get two to 3% of the vote skews kind of average headline numbers. And, you know, it it does. Yeah. I think that unfortunately, um, you know, I, I would love it if folks that were covering this maybe <laughs> took a, a closer look at what the underlying um, proposals were actually asking for, but that's hard to do. Um, you know, the best that we can hope for is that a lot of these, um, you know, organizations that that kind of do the, the 2024 season recap or whatever recap there is, that they are taking that into account and excluding those proposals because they really are yes. different types of proposals. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I will say that certainly here at Bloomberg Intelligence, we do take the data-driven and nuanced approach. Um, and on that note, thank you for your time. You can you can find more information on topics like shareholder activism uh, on the Bloomberg terminal by going to BI Act Go uh, or about proxy season in general on BI Proxy Go. If you have an ESG quandary or burning questions you would like to ask BI's expert analysts, send us an email at esgcurrents at bloomberg.net. Thank you again so much for your time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.